the, these commercial real estate brokerages, the ones we talk about all the time, the CBREs, the JLLs, the Cushman and Wakefields, they're not too optimistic about their short-term window right now. Good morning, and this is Deconstruct. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. So we've spent a good chunk of the last few months on Deconstruct talking about what's happening with residential brokerages and the housing market. So today, we thought we'd try and cover all of our bases and chat about what's happening with commercial brokerages. Right. So how high inflation, rising interest rates, and a slowdown in investment sales has hit the big public brokerages. So think CBRE, Newmark. And two of our reporters, Patrick Ralph and Sam Lounsbury, pulled back the curtain on that impact for our December magazine. I'll add in a little promo. So the December issue went live last Friday, and the cover story is about who is crazy enough to build office right now. That's actually the headline, not just my own opinion. (laughs) We also dive into Builder's Remedy, the provision in California that we discussed in a recent episode. Um, That provision has allowed developers to bypass planning oversight. Right. There's a bunch more in there. We'll leave a little to the imagination. Uh, And instead, we'll turn to the news of last week. For anyone who thinks the real estate world slows down over the holidays, you're wrong. A giant deal hit New York last week. Josh Gottlieb and Meyer Orbach closed on $850 million worth of apartments in Lenox Hill. Coincidentally, that $850 million equaled out to 850 apartments that the duo picked up from Salo Building Company. That firm was owned by the late developer Sheldon Salo, who passed in 2020. Salo's son, who's running the firm now, is planning to offload $1.8 billion worth of apartments total to the two investors. It's being billed as one of you largest, if not the largest deal of the pandemic. And further down the East Coast, Malaysian firm Genting Group wants more than a billion dollars for its waterfront site in downtown Miami. It's about 16 acres, which Avison Young broker Michael Fay said is, quote, the largest undeveloped piece of waterfront property in South Florida. What did Genting initially want to do with that plot? So the firm spent years planning to build a casino as part of a larger mixed-use project there. Think luxury resort, residential towers, retail. Mm -hmm. But it never scored legislative approval, so now it's basically giving up. The site is already zoned for up to 60 stories of development and about 7,800 units. That's according to Avison Young. I mean, it certainly sounds like prime real estate to me. I guess the question is whether anyone wants to pay for it in this rate environment. Speaking of companies that are sort of scurrying to the sidelines, though, Meta has pulled out of about 250,000 square feet of office space in Hudson Yards. The company said it won't be renewing its leases there. Meta is definitely trying to cut the fat. Overall, it's gunning to drop more than $3 billion to consolidate office space. It expects to spend $900 million on those cuts in this quarter alone. And just on the ground, I mean, we saw the firm back out of plans to move into 33 floors of Lincoln Property company's tower in Austin. So yeah, Zuck is definitely downsizing. It's not really a great sign for office landlords considering Facebook was this company that was expanding its office space for so long. Yeah, definitely not. Um, You know, for a long time, landlords were really banking on the tech sector to fill up those vacant spaces and that's changing. So that's commercial. On the residential side, we're actually seeing some shifts finally. Mortgage rates dropped after election day earlier this month ever so slightly to 6.67%, and that's from 7.16%. 
and buyers have started to swoop in. Yeah, what a difference context makes though, right? Because rates are still double what they were last year. Right, that's what Nest Seekers agent Michael Fabry said. But he saw buyers moving in as confidence in the market. It's a sign that things might be improving and that's when people start to flood the market. Okay, so a very early signal that financing might cool off a bit more. Right, exactly. And other big news on the residential front, Open Door CEO Eric Wu stepped down. That's after the company posted a $1 billion loss in the third quarter. And more than half of that was attributed to a write-down in home values. Right. So the Real Deal's SVP of content, Hiten Samtani, spoke with Mike Delpreet, a real estate tech expert, about the move. This is what he said. It's easy to say Open Door was the best position of the iBuyers because there's only two, Open Door and OfferPad. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, you can't really make a fair comparison. Um, but the the operational excellence and the fact they've done this for so long, this is the one thing they do. They have the technology, they have capital, all, all of that kind of goes in to, to say, if anyone's going to make it work, it's going to be, it's going to be them. We, we can't say it's, it hasn't worked, yeah. right? All we can do is just look at the data, look at the evidence. You can look at the losses and you can, you can say, has it worked from a profitability or financial standpoint, right? And it's kind of it's clear where it's at right now. How far can you, do you think this commoditization of the home can go? Like what other models are working or have promise or, or seem like they could be something if they figure out the kinks or get money? Uh, I'm interested in just like, let's say we're five years from now. Hopefully the freaking home buying process does not look like it does today. That would be a fucking shame, right? So where else can we go? Well, I mean, what, what do you need to do to commoditize something, right? To commoditize something there, there needs to be low differentiation, right? The products are all the same. The price point is low. You're kind of pushing to the lowest common denominator on, on things. So it, it simply is a commodity at that point, right? If, if all the options are the same, I'm just going to choose the lowest price option. I, I, I can't answer the question to say, this is how far we can go in housing. But what I can offer is that out of any industry or asset class, real estate, houses, must be the hardest to commoditize simply because they are not commodities, right? Every piece of real estate is different by, by definition. You know, real estate is, is real land. My mm-hmm. house is unique. I, I have, this is the only house on this piece of land. It is unique. It is different from the house next door and the house next door. It's also worth a lot of money. You know, real estate is the largest transaction a consumer will undertake in their lifetime. How do you commoditize that? Out of everything in the world, that's got to be like the hardest thing to commoditize. And one of the top stories last week was your piece on Steve Croman, who's a pretty notorious landlord in New York. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So there's a good bit of irony to the piece, which is always fun for the writer. Um, Croman, for those unfamiliar, has a history of harassing New York tenants and defrauding lenders. He did a year in jail for the latter. Now he's filed for bankruptcy on four properties. Those are all in Kipps Bay. But the kicker here is he claims he was the victim of a predatory lending scheme. Um, he says he fell behind on loan payments for about a month or so last year. And then that loan was sold to a distressed debt firm that immediately foreclosed on the property. That foreclosure suit is pending, but the nice thing for Croman about this Chapter 11 he filed is it will stay the proceedings and kind of buys him some more time to reorganize. I love bankruptcy records and just court records in general simply because you get details like that, which would have never come out otherwise. 
Um, in LA, we've been working on the story about Joel Schreiber, who was the first investor in WeWork. He's selling off the Broadway Trade Center to Capri Capital Partners, which is run by Quentin Primo. But for a while, Primo's deposit just wasn't going through. And then all of a sudden, there was this document that popped up a couple weeks ago, and it was an email from Primo. He said something like, Citibank's private banking department said the investors' accounts would be fully activated within the next two days and will have the ability to transfer over $500 million. The sale hasn't gone through yet, but that email was such a good example of something that would be so hard to get otherwise, but provides such good insight into a deal. And it's right there in bankruptcy records. Yeah, no, totally. I love a good affidavit on that same note. Sometimes, you know, they get pretty passionate and those juicy details are just like so good for color. This podcast is sponsored by Dotted, the asset optimization platform that aligns your teams and makes your real-time data work for you. Automate reports, export stacking plans, run simplified leasing calls, and go beyond the lease with capital projects and dynamic projections all in one place. Get a demo today at Dotted.com. So today we have Pat Ralph, who is a TRD reporter based in New York. Pat, thanks for coming on, and we can jump right in. How are commercial brokerages faring right now? They're not doing great, Bell. You know, they're having some real uh, short-term pain, I would describe it as. They are really getting hit hard by a slowdown in investment sales, which is caused by higher interest rates, capital not being as available. as um, This is all because of inflation, as we see with the Federal Reserve trying to tackle that issue. And these commercial real estate brokerages, given that there are not as many deals going on right now, we're seeing this not just in New York or in Los Angeles, but this is across the country, deals are slowing down. There's just less business for them in their capital markets. And as a result, there's not as much revenue available and there's they're just not making as much in that area that they would expect. And so as a result, I think they saw that there may have been something of this coming, that there was going to be some level of slowdown. But the, the takeaway that my colleague Sam and I got from when we were writing, reporting the story out is that they got hit harder, I think, than they, what they expected. And I think that the third quarter was worse than they thought and that they painted the picture that the fourth quarter could be even worse. So for right now in the short term, the, these commercial real estate brokerages, the ones we talk about all the time, the CBREs, the JLLs, the Cushman and Wakefields, they're not too optimistic about their short term window right now. And how are these firms, CBRE, Newmark, JLL, Cushman and Wakefield, how are they reacting, coping? Are they cutting costs? Are they, you know, instituting layoffs? So they all kind of had an interesting, different approach. CBRE came out very explicitly and said, we are going to, we are going to implement a $400 million cost reduction program. And they specifically said headcount reductions, which is more of a, a corporate way of saying job cuts, layoffs. They specifically said it straight up in their release in their earnings report. JLL, Cushman, Wakefield, Colliers, Newmark, they were more vague about, more like we're gonna be looking at cost cutting reductions. We need to cut costs because capital markets revenue is not where it needs to be. This is gonna be down for the foreseeable future. We need to, you know, a mix of permanent and temporary cuts. They may not have been saying that they're gonna lay people off, but the impression that Sam and I got from talking to market analysts and just looking around is that everybody, the initial thing they're gonna do, the easiest way to trim fat is by layoffs. And JLL, within two weeks after their earnings report, Institute was reported, uh, BizNow reported, that they initiated a round of about 1,800 people were laid off in New York and Chicago, which according to them was about 2% of their workforce. So um, Cushman, as of right, as of our recording, Cushman, Newmark Colliers have not instituted specifics yet, but the takeaway we got from talking to people for this and with market analysts is that 
layoffs are going to be how they get to you know bring their costs down in the time frame while their capital markets revenue is not up to the levels that they hope or wish it would be yeah Right. And this is coming off 2021, which was an insane year across commercial asset classes, but especially multifamily and industrial. I remember commercial brokerages actually saying in their earnings calls last year that multifamily and industrial sales were really pushing revenue forward. And now all of that is slowing down. Yes. It's interesting you say that because um, Sam pointed this out in our story, which he says that even industrial, which, as you said, Bella, it's kind of the darling of the pandemic has been the darling. It, it's even that has slowed up and multifamily. You're seeing that office obviously has kind of been, been you know, the boogeyman for, for lack of a better term. All of this across the board is that they're just seeing it's just a slowdown, you know, across all asset classes right now. And they pretty much expect that, like, as I said, that the third quarter was not great. I think the kind of the projection we got was that they put this out in the third quarter with such a pessimistic view that they expect the fourth quarter kind of to set expectations that the fourth quarter could get pretty ugly as well. And really the best estimate they give is that they are hopeful. Again, really, nobody really knows, but the best hope they have is that maybe things will turn around and get better by maybe the back half of 23. So this could be another six months or so into, into next year going forward through the first half of this coming year where things are still kind of slow or not back to where they are. So yeah, like exactly what you were saying, Bella, that it is consistent across asset classes that they're just seeing the slowdown. And like, yeah, like even ones like multifamily and industrial, which was one that really stuck out that said even that that had been doing so well is even starting to see a little bit of a slowdown now. So are commercial brokerages saying they're expecting an improvement across the capital markets by the second half of next year? I know we heard Jerome Powell last week signal that the Fed was going to start slowing down its rate hikes. So maybe that has helped give these firms a little more clarification at this point. Absolutely. Every brokerage was consistent in that is that second half next year, things should get back to normal. And like you mentioned, it's a great thing you mentioned there with Jerome Powell's comments. That's the kind of language these brokerage firms want to hear. You know, that's the thing you keep hearing is that they know the rate increases are going to continue because they know that the Fed needs to kind of rein in inflation. They, this, we know that's going to continue. But what they need to see is that the, vol- the, the volatility, the rate at which it's going comes down a little bit. That slows. Maybe they go, they've been doing what, three quarters of a point now for most of the year. Maybe that comes back down to a half a point. So it's just a calming of the seas almost, you know, just that it gets back to more of a level playing field, it calms down a bit. And it's more of, they're working with more of a known and working with more of a, just they they have a little bit of a working idea of like where things are going to stand. And that if they can, again, if things can kind of slow down a little bit, they'll feel better. And I think that language today, the fed put out there, Um, I think that's something that they're going to be very encouraged by knowing that, okay, maybe we're past the worst of all these interest rate increases. I thought it was interesting. In your story, you mentioned that even though investment sales are down, leasing revenues are up and revenues generally are up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. That is exactly a great point you bring up, Bella. And that was something we pulled out of there was that, you know, leasing is good. They all were happy to point out that office is getting better, that they are seeing that you know people are coming back. They're taking up space. This is what speaks to, which is a part of this story we, we hit on, is that in the short term, they're very pessimistic, these firms. There's so much just institutional. There's just so much. They're not just going to go away. You know, they, there's so much there in the long term that they know this will. This is a brief period you know, of time where there's going to be a bit of a downturn, but they know things will bounce back. Um, and as you said, that like it's not like every all these other revenue streams are all down. It's not like it's across the board. This is really just one sector. It's a big sector. Let's not diminish that. One sector is down, 
but they are still seeing that everything up, everything else is up, and they are bullish that, again, if that can come back by back half of next year and with everything else kind of doing okay, like you said, leasing, property management, these other arms of their of these brokerages that's not just investment sales, capital markets, that they're going to be okay and that the long term, there's just so much pipeline, there's just so much going on that there's, it's almost, dare I say, not too big to fail, but there's just, they have a lot going in their favor that the long term is very rosy for them. And what's happening with the stock of these companies, CBRE, Newmark, et cetera? What's happening with their share prices? Yeah, all of them have posted declines. I mean, it's been down. The big five we talked about have seen, you know, stock prices come down. You know, it's interesting, like when we talked to one, a couple of market analysts you talked to is like, you know, why do you think CBRE or something were maybe a little more specific about their plans? than maybe a Cushman Wakefield JLL is that, you know, yeah, you are trying to, you know, get the stock back up. You know, you are trying to put in investor shareholder confidence. As of November 23rd, the declines range from as little as 30% for CBRE to 55% for Newmark. JLL was down 40% on the year. They're trading the highest at 162. They're down 40%. And I just want to point out that the results that we're talking about are from the third quarter. And even though the quarter is partly made up of slower summer months, it's still not typical to see this huge slowdown, right? They knew that the third quarter is typically kind of an awkward quarter because you have July, August of summer. You know, people are away and you can kind of chalk that up to like, okay, it's summer slowdown. Deal making is not as big because people are away. But they bank on that that post-Labor Day holiday uptick in deals, just things starting to pick back up with people back on a normal routine with the fall season. That did not happen. And that, I think, is an interesting thing that they expected. There's some sort of, well, things are going to bounce back in the fall. This is how this market goes. Well, that didn't happen. And I think that now when they're expecting the fourth quarter where everything kind of, if there's any other deals that are getting done, October, November, December, they're getting done now. People want to get them done by the end of the year. Everything's kind of closing, wrapping up as we head in here into December here. I think what they're expecting and the forecast they're kind of giving out and that they've kind of seen is that. Uh, no, it's not going to be that. The the kind of that strong finish that these companies like to have and that that big you know period of deal making in Q4 is just not going to be there. The fourth quarter earnings call, which we'll get obviously in jan- late January, early February, I think that's going to be very interesting to see because I think again the kind of the sentiment we got is that they're kind of bracing for it to be wor- even worse than they expect. And that these market analysts, the same thing, are saying that they know that things could look even bleaker after this coming quarter. Deconstruct airs every Monday wherever you get your podcasts, so subscribe now. Next week, we're talking about crowdfunding. Tune in then.